Welcome to How I Got Here, hosted by seasoned educator Jeremy Proper. This is a podcast of conversations with his former students discussing their journey from middle school to where they are today. Guests highlight their successes and the life lessons learned along the way. And now let's welcome the host, Jeremy Proper. Welcome to How I Got Here with Mr. Proper. I will be talking to former students who will tell their story of their personal journey from Mr. Proper's class, AKA Club 128, to where they are now. Everyone has a different path to get to where they are now, and that path may just be the beginning to where they actually want to be. In these podcasts, I hope to tap into the journeys that my former students have taken. Also, for them to share their experiences with my current students, and for that matter, anyone else who is interested in seeing how hard work in and out of the classroom actually pays off. So let's welcome today's guest, Camilo Restrepo. Hello, Camilo. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? I'm fine. How are you today? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Excellent. Well, what I'd like you to do is take a few minutes to briefly introduce yourself. Please include when you left the Don and where you went to high school, then college, then post-college, and what you're currently doing right now. Of course. Well, everyone, my name is Camilo Restrepo. I graduated from Florida State University in 2019 as a Bachelor of Science in Finance. That is the trajectory I took my life in. And I left Don Estridge in 2012. I had Jeremy as my, or rather Mr. Proper to you guys. I had him as my teacher from 2011 to 2012. I went to high school here in Boca Raton, Florida at Olympic Heights out in West Boca. And then college, I started off at the University of Florida in Gainesville in 2016. But in 2017, I made the switch over to Florida State University in Tallahassee after a little kerfuffle with some classes. I decided to pursue my finance degree there instead. I As I said, I graduated in 2019, a little early. And then post-college, I had the unfortunacy of meeting the COVID-19 pandemic head-on. I was with a private equity firm back then. As an intern, I was slated to start a job. And right when I was slated to actually start the job, that was the week the COVID shutdown happened. And a couple of weeks later, the company just said, you know, we, we can't really do anything with you. Best of luck. And I, that is basically how I started my professional life in probably one of the worst moments in modern history. Uh, I did end up taking a job at a former summer job I had in college at a local Volkswagen dealership as a product specialist. I was there for a little while. And as of this week, as Jeremy knows, I am currently starting one of my dream jobs at Bring a Trailer, which is an automotive website that specializes in collector car auctions. As a specialist there, I'll be doing things that are related to the information of cars that I like, uh, doing listings, researching information, and I'm very happy to be starting that. And that is where I am now. Who knows what the future holds? That's awesome. So first and foremost, thank you so much for coming on and telling my students about your life and its experiences. Because it's so important that people like yourself who have worked really hard, achieved their goals, and have been able to take something, in essence, you took something out of nothing. I mean, you and I talked and you were really down on yourself almost. Like you had said to me, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this job. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like You are the most qualified person I know and age is just a number. And what you're doing, you're not really 
interacting with people physically. So no one has any idea how old your age was. And we've been talking about cars ever since you were in my classroom and the knowledge that you have is just incredible. So you're definitely one of the types of people that followed their dreams and found it, even though maybe their uh, educational uh, direction was literally in another direction. So I'm personally just extremely proud of you that something that started as just a fun way to pass time in my classroom has actually turned into a job and possibly a lifelong career. And I, I'm terribly proud of you. And I'm so willing to tell anyone your story and who will listen, but that's why we have you on here to do that. So, I appreciate oh, no problem. So when did you get this affinity for learning, whether it be, again, about cars or educational learning, whatever it was, when did you feel like you got that, that bug, like, I want to learn? For learning, it was when I was a child, uh, in learning in general, not just about cars, but I just, uh, when I was a child, I loved learning about just about everything I could get my hands on. I had atlases, I had all these sorts of books when I was three, four years old, and I could barely read at that point, but I could see pictures and, you know, I could, uh, I had, this was back when computers were barely starting to be a thing, uh, back when we still had dial-up internet, but my parents bought me a couple of computer programs I guess they were you could date them late 90s and they were just little basic interactive uh, atlases and little interactive not even games they're just they were they weren't even meant for little kids it was just uh, around the world sightseeing cities learning about different cultures nations everything and where really... if I might add if I might ask a question where were you learning where you're not you were not born in America no I was not I was born in Colombia I immigrated to the United States with my family in 2001. I was just a tick over three years old, and I've been living here ever since. Is this occurring in the United States, or is this back in Colombia? Do you remember that far back? I know that's... No, this is right at the border. I I remember vaguely having uh, the whatever programs I had. I remember starting them there at our computer in our apartment. And when we moved to this country, you have, this is back when you had your own computer room. In your house. Uh, it was sort of like an office. I remember going into that computer room by the time we moved into the U.S., learning through there. And this was at a time where this was only in Spanish. So on top of that, uh, in multi-languages, not just English. Yeah, and thankfully these were uh, in Spanish at the time, but uh, that interest in knowledge did not um, stop with a language barrier. I naturally carried it through when I started to learn English, when I went to preschool, very early on in elementary school, what have you, kindergarten, first grade, I managed to continue, keep that ball rolling, even after I started learning the language and became more accustomed to that. That's amazing because, you know, you started your educational journey in A, a different country, B, a different language, and somehow miraculously it rolled into a new country with a new language and you still had this affinity for learning. And that to me is what's so amazing. And that's again, a, an integral part of Camilo and his story of who he is, that you didn't just have an easy path as it were, you know, you basically, even though you were very, very young, you picked up and started all over again, just like your parents, but they're adults. It's a little bit easier. I think maybe for adults, maybe not, I don't know. I've always lived in America. I can't really comment, but it's just my thought process. And it's just very impressive that, you know, here you are a little boy and you started off in one country speaking one language and then all of a sudden uprooted, brought to a new country and then new traditions, new languages, new customs. And it just kind of rolled itself over. It wasn't like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to give up. 
and you didn't. And that to me is, is again, what's so amazing. So yeah, that course. leads me, no, definitely. That leads me into my next question. So who was that teacher that made that light bulb turn on? So you did it for yourself when you were a little kid, but then once you entered school, do you remember a specific teacher that all of a sudden it just clicked and you went, wow, I, I really like this? I had two different instances and I'll start off with the first one. And this isn't because I'm currently sitting here talking with you, but I've spoken about this to you ever since I was in your class. And you know, I've referenced quite often since we, you know, since I left, but uh, you actually made the light bulb for my love of history and my love of social studies. You made that bulb turn on and, you know, nearly burp. Um, <laughs> Thank I you so much. Of course. I mean, I sat in your class. I was something I can remember even when I was inundated at the time with work from the other classes, which, you know, in retrospect, it's, it wasn't really that much, but back then you feel like it's the end of the world having to deal with that, having to deal with, um, uh, English, having to deal with uh, basic high school level algebra, whatever it's called. I think it was algebra one. Uh, and I remember I was extremely dedicated and interested in your class, even when they were topics that I wasn't particularly uh, keen on learning about. I always put effort into it and I absolutely what? loved what you had to say, the stories I gotta going ask, through. Got to ask you a question about that. Sorry. Go ahead. What was it inside of Camilo that was able to do that? Because a lot of kids have a problem with that. They're like, oh, I don't like this topic. It's terrible. It's boring. I don't care about the War of 1812. Blah, who cares? So you have said that, and a bunch of kids have said that before, that they were like, well, I just had to power through it. And what, what was it that, that made you all of a sudden realize this is important, and I might not like it, but I still have to learn it? What, what was that? What, what advice could you give to someone sitting in my class or anywhere that, that is hitting that brick wall about, I don't care about symbiosis in science or whatever. It doesn't matter to me, but yet, you know, intrinsically, I got to learn this because the test is the test and I got to do well. I mean, I don't care about symbiosis either, but, um, what I do have to <laughs> I say, anybody does other than scientists. No, absolutely not. Um, the one thing that you were asking, you know, why did I care about those moments that, you know, nobody else cared about? I the minutiae. Absolutely. But I saw it more of as a way to segue into the next chapter of history that I'm interested in, because history is on the timeline. You don't, you can't select what happened and what didn't happen. And then exactly. there are certain events that if you don't understand what happened before it, and even if you didn't care about the, the event that happened before, you're not going to understand the actual event, or you're not going to understand it to the you know full depth of what it would be. You can't just go into you know, learning about World War II and not understand what the world was between the First and the Second World War. You can't ignore what France was. You can't ignore the Weimar Republic with Germany. You can't um, you can't avoid the the whole Bolshevik takeover of the Soviet Union. You can't avoid the U.S. during the Great Depression. Right. It all leads it, into uh, itself, and it, yeah, it's, it's like it's, math. It's like when kids in eighth grade say, "Well, why do I need to learn this math?" Well, don't understand this math. You can't do the next math. Not to mention, it makes you think in a different way. It makes you understand. Yeah, obviously, I wasn't there, and I'm not Superman, and I can't fix the problem, but I can understand what was going on, and I can see what led to this. This led to this, and then it led. So you have a better understanding of it. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean you shouldn't know it. That's a very, very good point. Yeah, of course, and that's how I've looked at it, because I may be a financier by degree and by trade, but I absolutely adore history and that's how i've always looked at it and when i was in jeremy's class i saw it that way i may not care about 
parts of the 1800s in the U.S. I'm trying to remember the words for that. You know, all the business that happened, um, the uh, the whole monopolies, um, right, right, all of right. those things right around the turn of the eight, you know, 19th, 20th century. The Industrial right Revolution? Here. Yeah, no, after. I mean, like, right around 1900. I don't care about, oh. you know, back when racketeering started, back all of that stuff. I, like, <laughs> exactly. I, like, I couldn't really care much about that because that's not really, a, you know, that's not really not stuff I care about. No, but right. when I learned about the big events and when I learned about, you know, world history at that time, absolutely, I'm 100% in. So what was it that made the aha connection moment? What was it that just all of a sudden just sunk in for you? You showed a, with that, you showed a passion in the subject that I know didn't translate to anyone, but for someone who actually cared, it really helped. It facilitated the sort of the spark I needed to get that flame ignited. So I I mean, I liked history before, and from what I told you, I had read about it previously. I'm not a bookworm by any means, but I do love, I, I've always loved reading, you know, very slightly, you know, books that summarize an entire period of time. Like, you know, I don't, I, they're not called atlases. I can't remember what they're called, but you showed an attention to detail and a love of the subject that made me go, oh, well, if he's that um, enthusiastic about it, maybe I should be that enthusiastic or should wow. at least... <laughs> try to be that enthusiastic about it. that that is an amazing compliment thank you so much I, I always say when people are like oh you teach history i hate history and my response simply is well you never were in my classroom you know it's it's the teacher that makes it fun um i speak to the math teachers all the time and i'm just like how do you do it you know math is just so dry and it there's nothing really there and you can talk about mathematicians until you're blue in the face but they're really not the most interesting people in the world and history, if you can make it come alive, that's what got it for me. I had a history teacher in high school who did the same thing, and they made it fun and interesting, and I tried to model my teaching after them because if you're into what's going on, so are the kids. I mean, you can't be into every single thing that happened in history, but like you said, having a knowledge, having a passion, having an understanding or a story or something that was interesting to lead you in and go, okay, I know this is really boring, but here's a funny story that happened on the way. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, maybe that's not so bad. So that's, yeah. that's really awesome. So if Camilo could go back in time and tell your eighth grade self some advice, what would you tell Camilo? And it is some, that is something I do think about quite often because I do not see myself as the same person in certain ways. But um, as I was back then, this was what, right, right around 10, 11 years ago, uh, the big biggest advice I could give him keep moving forward and keep your head up because you do not know what life is going to throw at you you don't know who's going to come who's going to go what's going to come and what's going to go but the important thing is don't stop don't let yourself stagnate keep moving because there are better things ahead even when you think that the night is at the darkest the sun set oh sorry the sun rises right around the right over the horizon yeah, it's always darkest before the dawn, whatever analogy or euphemism or saying you want to say, there's a million of them. And that's a great exactly. thing to say because, you know, th that holds true whether you're 8, 18, 28, 38, 48, older. And it is, it's true. It's always darkest before the dawn. And you're, you never know what's going to come around the corner. You never know who's going to help you. You never know who's going to be your cheerleader, who's going to be in your corner, who's going to be willing to give you a recommendation or who's going to stand up for you and say, I, I think this person's going to be great for this. And like I tell the students in class all the time, 
you never know who people know. You never know how someone could connect on social media or um, whether it be Instagram, whether it be Twitter, whether it be, um, oh man, I forgot. What's the one where in business where everybody, thank you, LinkedIn. I never use it because I'm a teacher, but that doesn't mean I don't have a LinkedIn account and I'm not connected to a gazillion different people who've done a gazillion and one different thing. This, is there any way you could connect me with them? Yeah, sure, no problem. You know, and you never know who's connected to whom and what they could do to help you. I mean, obviously, in eighth grade, you're not thinking about that. You're just thinking about, let me get through this ridiculously boring, whatever it is that this teacher has me doing. But like you said, connections are key in this world and you never know who can open a door for you. LinkedIn. And I've had kids from the past who are post-college connect with me on LinkedIn and say, hey, Mr. Proper, how do you know something? Yeah, and that's something so, you learn as time goes on because networking is very important. Without a doubt. You, you can't just keep yourself closed in most of the time, your own person, you know, alone. But at the end of the day, you know, these connections matters. Look at, you know, me, I'm 23 years old and I still talk to Jeremy and I still try to keep tabs with a lot of people who actually have cared about me and have shown interest in keeping contact with me. I reciprocate it. And that's actually gotten me as far as I am now. Jeremy, I still, this is what, it's been what, 11, 12 years since I met you. And yes. we're still, you know, we're, it's still just as we're, we're friends at this point, obviously, because I'm no longer a student. No, I, not at 23 years of age, without a doubt. No, I would hope not. But um, yeah, uh, I, that's very important to everyone. I mean, this oh, is a time you, in your you lives. Shared, you shared with me one of life's uh, biggest ups when you got your first job last week and you texted me and I was like, the, the first person I texted was my wife to let her know. And she was like, her response, I don't even know if I told you, was not. <laughs> I mean, even my wife knows you so well because, you know, you sold my mother-in-law a car and you've gotten to know my extended family. And, you know, you, you it, it, but it's just nice. And I can live vicariously through you knowing, yeah, I was like a, a minute piece of your life, but yet it's been able to continue. It's been able to help. And you know, throwing ideas and talking about ridiculousness from cars to whatever. And it's just nice. And just to know that you are willing and wanting to spend the time to tell me is amazing because I want to know how my former students are doing. I want to see them be successful. You know, you're, you're hard on your students in class for a reason so they can be prepared for what comes next and that they're ready to uh, take on those challenges. Speaking of challenges, what would you say was your most challenging educational experience and how did you my most challenging educational experience well that's that's a that's a tough one because looking back there are plenty of those but one of the most challenging ones i had when i was a kid was that language barrier i told you about yes. the very first one i can think of and that's obviously one of the more that was me moving to a country not knowing the language not knowing anything of the culture and i was only 3 and a bit years old at the time so I was able to speak and I was already reading at the time. I I was already in preschool in Colombia and I was already learning and my parents just took me out of that atmosphere and brought me into this one. And it took me, it's not easy. You can't learn the language overnight, even at that no. age when you think it's that simple. It took me nope. years of just honing my skills and learning, uh, listening to music, reading books. I mean, I remember very much, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, Eric Carle, the one who, the author of the Very Hungry Caterpillar and the Brown yes. Bear, whatever book. That was the first, those were the first two books I was able to read in English. And that was, that yeah, it didn't take me too long to learn when I got now, here and got into preschool. Can, can I ask here. you a question? I want to ask a question. Of course. 
did you feel a little bit like an outsider in your new country because of the language barrier? Did that give you like, oh man, like if only these people spoke Spanish more, I would feel more comfortable or I'd feel like I fit in or? Yes, I would. I definitely would say so. It was very hard to communicate in the beginning. Uh, there were certain things I wanted to tell people, just explain about myself. People, all the other kids would ask, uh, they, they were curious about who I was, you know, stuff about me. And I just couldn't communicate myself. I didn't know what to say. Thankfully, at that time, I, I've, I've she still could ran. Yes, and I've run into her from time to time ever since, you know, even at this age. But she would help me a lot, and I would try to communicate stuff, and I just couldn't. And she would just, you know, help me, you know, try to explain to them, like, oh, yeah, well, no, sorry, go ahead. Like this, I like that, you know, it's right, just that kind right. of stuff. So and that was it. I was, the other one I wanted to quickly describe that, you know, changed my life was the educational challenge of going to college because I started college. No, that's what I was saying. It was wanting to do something entirely different from what I actually ended up doing. I went, I, Jeremy remembers, I graduated high school in 2016 and I had, I was going to be a business major and I was going to do law at the time. Right. And I was going to, I was said, oh, I want to be a corporate lawyer. I want to get into law. I want to, you know, maybe get my JD, some, you know, my JM and then my JD someday. I will work toward that. Um, I want to shadow with a lawyer, uh, intern with, you know, someone. And as college progressed, I at some point noticed when I actually went to court and when I started helping on that and actually got into it, I was still doing my business degree in order to get into law school to do corporate law, which is, you know, legal business. Oh, sorry. Yeah, legal business. And at some point I realized, no, I don't like law. This is actually terrible. I don't, you know, want to do this. And then just not for you. That was yeah, exactly. And that was a very I mean, it's it's fine if you can do it and if you're that kind of right. person. There's nothing wrong with it. I, it just turned out not to be your cup of tea, as it were. No, and I spent nearly three years of college doing that out of the three and a half I was there. And I said, Oh, that's uh that that is me having to, you know leave that behind and then finish this last year three-fourths of a year doing something else and i have to you know go all in on finance at this point because that was you know that was un a turn detour my life took. Yes. yes well what's amazing was... is that you were in, you were intelligent and mature enough to realize it just wasn't going to work out for you you spent all this time and it wasn't wasted time because what would have been worse is if you got the degree, you became this, went out in the world and did it, and then it just then that's when you figured it out. At least now you could take that detour onto that side road. You could do the finance. You could be finished. You still finished early, correct? Yes, I did. So that in itself is commendable because in essence you had a double major and you realized that at least maybe it was a little later than you would have liked, but it was before you graduated. You were able to change direction, shift your thought processes, and move into an area that you liked a lot more. And that is the very mature attitude. There are many people who would have just been like, all right, I'm already here. I'm just going to plow through it. It's one more year. I'll get done. And if I choose to do it, I choose to do it. If not, not. And you took the adult stance and said, whoa, 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 slam on the brakes. This isn't for me. I need to move in another direction. And you were able to do that. And that was, again, one of the many impressive things about you that you've shared with me over the years is your maturity and your ability to just say, okay, that was a mistake. It wasn't a bad mistake or a good mistake. It just was a mistake. And now I'm going to learn from it, which you always say, and I'm going to move forward. And that's what you did. And you didn't let it get in your way and you didn't worry about what other people thought and you didn't, you know, woe is me, turtle, turtle, turtle. My life is over. I just ruined three years of my life and wasted all this time. And 
No, you didn't. You just, like you said, you picked yourself up, you dusted yourself off and you're like, all right, well, now we're moving in this direction. And that is what's to be commended. And that is what's to be looked at in, in such a positive way. And, and to be told you really changed your whole life in a matter of one instant and changing. And again, look where it got you. You know, we got, you got this new brand new job and you're doing this thing that you've always wanted to do. Had you gone in the other direction, I'm telling you, this never would have happened. No, not at all. And that's something that was important to me because that decision I made was after I had to sit through some court cases, the Leon County Courthouse, uh, which is the county Tallahassee is in when I was at FSU. I, I made that decision. That was December of 2018. I was about to enter. I was about to finish that semester and enter the last full year or rather, you know, quote unquote, full year of college. And at that point, I said, yeah, this isn't really going to work out. And I was already going to get my finance degree. And instead of applying to law school with that uh, Bachelor of Science in Finance degree, I said, well, I'm just not going to apply to law school. I'm just going to, you know, focus on full business. I'll take some and uh, I'll take uh, the student investment course the following year, which was then 2019. I would focus on taking the um, uh, senior level Excel classes, the business um, finance classes that were about um, business communications. And I said, well, I'm going all in on this instead of just doing, you know, legal um, stuff and business stuff at the same time. And I said, and by the time 2019 came around, I was already entirely in business. I did the student investment fund, helped manage the $4 million uh, student investment fund that FSU had, helped them, you know, make a pretty decent amount of money back when nice. Boeing was with the 737 MAX scandal. And then I went to the whole Bloomberg uh, market concept certification and decided that, yeah, that's where my life was going to head. So as you said, um, I know, I'm thankful I noticed it at the time I did, because otherwise I would not be sitting where I am today. So did that change in a way how you were a student because you were going from law to finance or was it still just the same thing? No, it was, I, I, it didn't, it just changed the trajectory. That's all it did because I was still just as motivated because at the end of the day, it was still the same degree and still uh, a lot of the same. The only aspect that left was the legal aspect. Mm. That's all that, you know, that's all that I removed, but I did love what I did back then, but it didn't really change my motivation or anything. The, the only thing I didn't like back then was I was not the biggest fan of accounting because of what we said earlier. You have to have a teacher who really motivates you to, no, just please. I never want to even think about that again until I have to file for my taxes again. So do you think that this change ultimately changed you as a person? To a certain degree, I want to say yes, because it made me realize that I, I have to just look at things beforehand and really make sure that I want to commit to something because you can't ex you can't be expected especially in business to be taken seriously if you're here today there tomorrow back here the day after that and if you just keep moving around or you can't figure out what you want the i mean life is about learning from your mistakes and for sure but, no I mean, no really i don't think to be honest it. i don't think hardly anybody does i mean i changed my major several times in college and i mean granted it was between history and uh education and then I realized that I why should I do education when I can finish my history degree faster, go on the post-bac program for a master's and then do that. So I'm basically killing two birds with one stone. But yeah, it's just interesting because, you know, you're, you're taking legal and finance and then saying, okay, the legal isn't for me, but the finance is. And again, back to trajectory, 
I think that you, I'm, I'm, I'm a wholehearted believer that we, we wouldn't be in the situation that we've discussed of you having this brand new job, working for this amazing company, talking about things that, that you just love, you know, cars were what brought you and I together in the classroom, just your ability to talk about cars. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, your typical run of the mill Mustangs and Corvettes and, you know, Broncos and whatnot. I mean, you're, you're, you knew, like I would bring up, you know, the bizarro French Citrion and you're like, oh man, that's the ugliest car ever made. I think, was it, wasn't there like, it wasn't an app, but wasn't there some type of something online at that time where you had to look at cars and look at like a piece of the car and try to identify what the car was? Is that something, do you remember that? And we would just go back and forth. I vaguely remember that. And I remember I just got bored of it because I would usually finish those sort of things very quickly and uh, nothing really, uh, I mean, I'm into, when Jeremy says that, what brought us together what was exactly what he said. I like obscure cars. And by obscure, I mean stuff that, you know, most of the students listening to this, if you like cars, odds are you're still not going to know about what most of these are until probably high school, maybe college even, because this is really, really obscure stuff. I mean, and that's nobody what else... The fact that you knew this stuff that, like, many adults didn't even know, and you were so impressed by the fact that I knew what these things were and what engines were in it or who made it or whatever the ridiculousness of it was, and it was just something that, that we had in common that we could just talk about and take a break a moment away from whatever it was we were doing and, like, the other kids didn't quite get it because no one had, I mean, I can honestly say to this day, no one has had to the level of knowledge that you had, even as an eighth grader, comparatively to people I know as an as adult company for a while who would, you know, go and sell online, buy online cars for people for a small fee. And like, he was the only one comparatively or a friend of mine's uh, boyfriend who I would send him ridiculous cars just like you. And he was the only one who would know what it is. And it's like the two of you are like, how do you know this? Like, this is the most absurd. It's a, a one-off car with a chassis built by so-and-so. And it's like, oh my God, this is way too much information for me. But that's what, what was cool. And that's, I think, what makes people drawn to people is that they find that they have commonality in something that they would think no one else is going to know this. Well, if it's out there, someone's going to know it, but maybe not a bunch of 13 year olds, but obviously other people would be interested. So you and I, and three other people who know what a 1985 Mercedes Benz 300 TD turbo <laughs> diesel is. So Exactly. And they're not mechanics because you know, they've worked on them. That's not fair. So yeah. with, with all that you do and all that you've been trying to do, when you were in high school and you were bogged down with all of this work, um, how did you take time for Camilo? Where was their me time? How were you able to say, okay, I've studied and I need to break and I need some me time? What, what was your particular choice? What did you do? For me, having I'm part of, I believe I'm of the first year of what you would refer to as Gen Z. Computers became a big part of my life when I was younger and ironically, you know, to the students listening, for me, a big outlet of my um, just sort of to project my love of cars into was uh, racing games. I played a lot of racing games. I don't mean like Need for Speed, Grand Theft Auto, whatever that stuff. I played, you know, the Gran Turismo, all of that, just stuff where I could learn more and more and more about cars and go into detail. And actually, I, I credit those with 
I with teaching me how to drive very well far before I even took any driving lessons. So I took a lot of time when I was younger into that, what little free time I had with whatever I was doing. And I have always found, you know, just time to in my free time, Jeremy knows I what I do is automotive related. I will go to a dealership and look at what they have. If it's anything interesting, I will go and people don't realize that you can do that. You know, people think like, okay, I'm not going to go. What was it that you were looking at recently? Those S classes? Yeah, the ones I saw the other day. I How much do those very... cost? Let, let's just inform the listener. What are we talking? How much are those? The cheapest one was uh, had a sticker price of 134000 And then the V8 one, which is one up from that, had a sticker of 164000 Okay, so your average car that your average person can't buy because it's so ridiculous. But what people don't understand is you could go look at it. I mean, whether or not they're going to let you drive it is another story, but that can't stop you from opening the door and sitting down in it and seeing how comfortable it is. And I think a lot of people are thrown off by that, that they're not going to go to the collection in Miami or they're not going to go to the Ferrari dealership in Fort Lauderdale and just be like, hey, I want to sit down in this car. And most people are, are thrown off. I mean, it's not like it's um, Woodfield Country Club. You know, you don't need to be a member and drive up in your Ferrari and just to go look at it, admire it, take pictures of it. And that's one thing that's always, um, that, that's always put a smile on my face is when you send me these pictures of these beautiful, beautiful cars. And I'm like, you know, that kid's got, as they say in, uh, in Yiddish, chutzpah. You know, he goes, he doesn't care. He's like, I I'm going to go see these things because I want to learn. And again, that's something that eventually, I know you have this new job, but you, you have tried to get jobs uh, selling Porsches. You, you know, you, but your knowledge, the, the problem basically is that your knowledge exceeds your age. And I think people have a hard time in modern day, and maybe even always, seeing beyond the age of a person and not seeing beyond the talent of a person. They just see, oh, this kid's 23 years old. How is he supposed to even know where to begin? Well, ask him some questions and he'll blow your- Yes, you reminded me of that trip I did to curate it a couple of weeks ago. You remember the one where yes. I got to sit in the, yeah. So I, I really exhibited that when I went to a boutique car dealership in Miami called Curated. Uh, they specialize in extremely high-end boutique supercars. I mean, the Lamborghini. Rarest of the rare. Yes, if if this is this is what money considers money. So, um, I it's invitation only. I just walked up and I said, you know, I risk the hour drive down in rush hour Friday traffic, and I said, I'm going to just risk it. I'll see. I knocked on the door. They were they saw me. They let me in. I spoke with the with the uh, gentleman there for a little while. They all liked me and. They even let me stay after closing because we were all just standing around talking about the cars. And this was just some 23-year-old who walked in who had just as much knowledge as these guys who worked for Lamborghini, Ferrari, all of these high-end manufacturers before they're, they specialize in and buying, that's selling, the restoring. Once you can get past the age thing, no matter how old you are, and you're talking to like-minded, let's just call them peers at this point. I mean, yeah, you worked in the car industry. Granted, you weren't selling Ferraris and Lamborghinis, but you were selling cars and you know Ferraris and Lamborghinis because let's be honest, that's how I got my job at BMW because I love BMWs and I knew how to talk to them. Once people see beyond the, you know, uh, the calm exterior of a 23-year-old, all of a sudden they're like, wow, this guy is full of a lot of knowledge. And I'm sure when you were working at Volkswagen, you intimidated a lot of older people because your knowledge, your, your thirst for knowledge, forget your knowledge. That's, that's nothing. 
but your thirst for knowledge. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, this is a man who will read car brochures. Like your average person takes them, throws them away, and never even opens them or look at them, or they hide in the trunk of their car when they buy it. He actually reads it because he wants to know the information. And to a lot of people, I could see that being very, very intimidating because they're selling it and they don't even know the things that you know. And that to me has, has always been a wonderful quality that you possess, that you have. And it's, it says a lot. It's a testament to who you are and, and how important these things are to you. And like we've said three times or more in this podcast, it's paid off. And at 23 years old, you already have this amazing opportunity that, you know, who knows where it's going to go, which is, no, I was going to say, so what was your most challenging educational experience? Challenging educational experience I've had thus far. Well, the biggest one I we mentioned earlier was the language barrier. That was That's a right. big right. one. So beyond uh, that, like once you came to America, so you're, you finally kind of got a handle on English and you're moving along. And then all of a sudden there's something in education that kind of just, is a brick wall and somehow you got to find out how to go under over around through for me the biggest one was uh, when i was in high school i had no idea what i wanted to do with my life i loved cars uh, we all knew that i i had the pipe dream when i was in jeremy's class that i said oh i want to be a designer for bmw someday and then it turns out i'm terrible at a drawing b engineering and c <laughs> all of the above all of the uh, above so, which you need to be a, a car engineer yeah that uh, that was let's just say that that came crashing and burning down they pulled a hindenburg on me let's see if your kids get that reference oh uh, nice yeah, uh, well how did you overcome it so once you figured out that well this pipe dream just exploded in my face uh the when we were talking earlier about you know a teacher that made a light bulb turn on there was a second teacher after you uh who made that light bulb go off and it wasn't even related to any subject I was particularly fond of continuing my interest in, but it was a uh, 10th tenth- yeah, grade that's... chemistry. Not 11th grade chemistry, ladies and gentlemen, 10th grade. No, no, because I, I know that there was AP chemistry or whatever it was. Yeah, AP. Uh, I, it, this was just honors chemistry. And Oh, just honors. Had... My bad. I'm sorry. I didn't mean oh, to uh, build it up higher than what it really was. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, I... I had that, uh, there was a teacher I had for that, and she was chemistry. She loved chemistry, and that was her profession. She was a chemical engineer, and she became a teacher after that. And she was also extremely interested in history. And the thing that got me was that I had a very you moment with her, where I bonded with her, not over, not even with the subject at hand, which she was very proficient at teaching and making us interested in. I got all A's in her class for someone who's terrible at science. And I, she was very interested in history and in cars, surprisingly. She oh, wow. had grown up, yes, yeah, she had grown up with her family owning a um, repair shop and her father was around cars and she absolutely loved cars. She knew, you know, she knew cars on an us level. Like she oh, wow. would, yes, like this would be a perfect sort of like trio to be talking about anything, nice. you know. Uh, and you wouldn't consider a, a science teacher to be a car aficionado. <laughs> No, and I would just sit with her. I remember I would just sit. She absolutely loved talking to me sometimes. And this was this was back when there were multiple lunches you could have had in high school. And I did not have lunch with my friends, unfortunately. So she would, um, I would just frequently stay behind in her class. And, you know, we'd just sit there and talking about cars. Like I would take my newest issue of Car and Driver 
and we would just discuss, I remember very fondly, she, we were talking about cars from the 80s and 90s, and I was just keeping up with her discussing all of the Malaise-era American cars. We discussed the Bustleback Cadillac Seville, the Cadillac Cimarron, the um, <laughs> Buick, yeah, exactly, the Oldsmobile uh, Regency, the Oldsmobile 98, all of these cars. <laughs> Obscure and, cars that don't even exist anymore. Look, we were talking about the 350 diesel Bustleback Seville, so that should really <laughs> tell you something. So, so, I mean, she helped me with that because she made me, she would just love talking to me, you know, asking what I wanted to do, asking that. And at some point in my senior year, long after I had her as a teacher, we were just talking one afternoon um, after school. And I was, I would help someone. So I was, as I was walking out, I ran into her. She asked me about college and I said, you know, I don't really know what I want to do. So over the course of that last year, she made me realize that I, A, love business, B, love law, and C, should, you know, try to focus something that's both of them. And she had a lot of contacts in the world of business, and she helped me, she helped walk me through that. I was not really too sure I could get into the University of Florida back then, much less as someone who's doing law and business. But thanks to her, I got to where I am today, because otherwise I wouldn't have even thought about uh, doing all uh, doing this in college because I never really thought I could be there but it, it was nice to have someone who believed in me and who kept pushing me and once I did get in she had a very you know what Patty said with the job you know told you you, you right. could, I knew you could do it right so, right it, it wasn't a surprise people weren't like oh my god how did that happen yeah, and she was a very big supporter of me that's awesome I, Yes, I thank her for that. Linda Pearson, if you're somewhere out there right now. I lost touch with her, but, you know, hope she's doing well. Yeah, that's awesome. So obviously that made you feel really good knowing that there was someone behind you. That's incredible. So what did you learn about Don Estridge as a school after you? Don Estridge as a school, uh, this is more, This I, I saw this and I just wanted to bring it up, not really as a school school, but I saw it as a very big turning point my life had sort of just that school was a place where I had a very big turning point to you know to lead me in the direction of where I am today because if I had not experienced what I did whether it was in your class or uh, Bill Hayes who got me interested in math which led to my interest in finance and crunching numbers um, and uh, I don't know if your students will even know her by name but uh Lenore Laws and Nicola Dama, who helped me, you know, enjoy writing, enjoy reading, enjoy all of that. All of those little, you know, pieces that I got from the school, they helped shape me into the person I am today. Because realistically, I would not be here without those experiences. That's awesome. So what did high school show you that you didn't know that the Don taught you? So when you go to high school, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, wait a second. That was when I realized what I was telling you earlier, that I realized that I didn't want to do the design thing. And I sort of started narrowing down where I wanted my life to go as God. time went on. I left engineering. I got an interest in law. I got an interest in business. And by the time I graduated, I said, yes, business is my thing. Law is my second thing. That is where we are going. So that just... So I had asked you if you had a inspiring quote or a quote and you said you did so suck it to us of course i will end with this here today i remember this from tennyson we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven that which we are we are one equal temper of heroic hearts made weak by time and fate but strong in will to strive to seek to find and not to yield now that is Lord Tennyson, 
from Ulysses. Uh, your students will probably not understand that style of English, but what Tennyson is basically saying, and you'll probably hear this in high school, college, that quote basically means we might not be where we started, we might not be who we started as, but the important part is to have that same heart, that same passion, as the last line said, uh, or rather the last two lines, one equal temper of heroic hearts, you know, the same, made weak by time and fate, because obviously life takes its tolls on us, we fall down, we dust ourselves off, we get back up again, only to fall down again sometimes, but we remain strong in will, and to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. We just keep on pushing, keep moving forward with our heads held high. That's what matters. Just keep on moving because, as I said early on, uh, when the night is at its darkest, it's because there's a sunrise up ahead over the horizon. That's all exactly. that matters in life. And that's what's helped me get to where I am today. I mean, I may only be 23 years old, but I have accomplished a lot more than I ever thought I would by this age. I can honestly say I disagree, but you have accomplished a lot, but not as not to say and diminish <laughs> you that you wouldn't because I always believed in you and I always knew you would do great things. And when you told me that you were uh, applying for this job, I was like, yeah, he's going to get it. There was never a moment in my mind. And like I said, I even told my wife and she was like, oh yeah, he's probably going to get that. I'm like, yeah, you can take the probably out. He's going to get it. And you were like, oh, there are people from car and driver and road and track and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, so what? <laughs> it doesn't matter. There's just that you just get those feelings and you get to understand but like you said, you know, it's darkest before the dawn. We keep hitting on that theme and it's just, you got to keep trying. You got to pick yourself up and dust yourself off. You know, bad things happen all the time. It's how you deal with it and how you move forward. So the last thing I always want to ask is, do you remember who Don Estridge actually was? Don Estridge, he was an engineer who worked for IBM, which as you may know, Don Estridge, the actual school used to be part of IBM, used to be an IBM building. And he was one of the engineers who led the development of the original IBM computer back then. And he just, he basically was one of the people who helped create something that is so noteworthy in technological history. So he was extremely important for that. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away. Oh. I had to give you the clap sound because you got it right. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, I, I, I always remembered that. And obviously, it's also because that's a little fun fact to bring up to people to tell them where I went to uh, middle school. But uh, my favorite is to tell engineers and mess with them because they're like, I know the name, but I just can't remember it. I'm like, without that, without him, you wouldn't have a job. So that's my favorite thing. Well, Camilo, thank you so much for your time today and telling your story and how you were able to overcome coming from a foreign country, not speaking the language, learning the new language, learning the new customs that we have here in America, and basically being a success story. I mean, you are, you really are a true testament to success here in America and how the American dream is still alive and well, and that with hard work and perseverance will come success. And that's basically what this is all about, is you getting to tell your story and telling people that, I was sitting in your chair not too long ago to you. You may think it's a long time ago, but to Camilo, it's not. And this is where I am now and how I got here. And once again, thank you for uh, listening to How I Got Here podcast. And I appreciate you being on, Camilo. Have a great day. Thank you for, thank you for having me on, Jeremy. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to How I Got Here podcast with Mr. Proper. Music provided by Miss Mata. Thank you to Patty Fernandez for the introduction. 
Thank you to Seth Proper for logistics and behind-the-scenes production. Join us next time for another episode of How I Got Here and more stories of former students and their journey.